So, you know, it's obviously it's father and son. It's, you know, it's Trinitarian language. So, um, but same thing here, like the Lord is tabernacling. The Lord is dwelling amongst his people. So when the incarnation happened, obviously it was, it was a phenomenal miracle. um, But there are all these like allusions to it already in the old, in the Jewish old Testament that, that God already was living amongst his people. And it was going to do that in a full way. He was tabernacling among his people already in the old Testament. Welcome to the Guilt Grace Gratitude Podcast, a show devoted to bridging the gap to the historic Reformed Christian faith. Listen in as two friends, a layman Nick and a pastor Peter, discuss core doctrines of our confessional traditions with seminary and college professors, seasoned pastors, and more. These seasonal episodes exist to reach those outside the church, those in the pews, behind pulpits, and in the academy with rich truths of Reformed theology, and remind ourselves weekly how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Hey, this is Peter Bell, and I am in the beautiful wine country of Central Coast, California, in Santa Maria, north end of Santa Maria, in Santa Barbara County. I serve Redeemer OPC, Redeemer Orthodox Presbyterian Church, on the north end of Santa Maria. We meet at Temple Bethel, which is right there, Temple Bethel, at 11 a.m. for Sunday service and 9.45 a.m., so just before that for Sunday school. For all ages, we have kids Sunday school, adult Sunday school, or all Sunday school at 9.45. You can find us at discoverredeemer.org with one R, again, discoverredeemer.org. We have a bunch of activities throughout the week, but most importantly, Sunday, we have the gospel preach, the the sacraments administered, and church discipline faithfully brought out. So I hope to see you here at Redeemer OPC in Santa Maria, Central Coast, wine country of Santa Barbara. Hope to see you. Hey, everybody. This is Pastor Danny Hyde from the Oceanside United Reformed Church. I want to invite you out to our church. We meet in sunny Southern California uh, here in San Diego. And we meet at the Army-Navy Academy in Carlsbad, right along the ocean, as you can see, the Pacific. And uh, we meet every Sunday at 10 o'clock in the morning. We uh, hear the Word of God and hear the Gospel preach. We have the Lord's Supper every Sunday morning. And then we have Sunday school at about noon for kids. We come again uh, together at 5 o'clock every night, uh, Sunday night, for uh, teaching, prayer, and singing. And then we also have various uh, midweek groups, Bible studies, men's, women's, and also other Bible studies as well uh, throughout the week. So... I want to invite you out to worship with us. If you know anybody in the area here in North County of San Diego, uh, invite them as well. Let them know. You can find out more about us on our website, OceansideURC.org, or also on all those various social media to find us as well. God bless. Hey, this is Peter, one of the co-hosts. We're doing something new. All ads will be fronted before the episode for unimpeded listening pleasure. A quick plug for our show, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude. Would you consider giving to our show? We are a 501c3 nonprofit, so your donations are now tax deductible. We've got two options to give. One, email us at guiltgracepod at gmail.com if you'd like to send a check or use our direct donor link. Or two, go to our show notes and click on our donor box link to give a recurring donation or a one-time gift. You can also click on our Patreon account in the show notes 
and sign up for monthly exclusives, merchandise, coupon codes with publishers we work with, giveaways for our subscribers, and much more. All donations we're gifted are used exclusively to pursue our mission to bridge the gap to reform Christian theology. Would you join us? Now, on to the show. Hello, everyone. Yet once again, it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast, where we bridge the gap to reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. And today we're on a season seven episode, finding Jesus through all of scripture. Danny Hyde, Dr. Reverend Danny Hyde is our esteemed co-host, third co-host, guest. Third wheel. Third wheel. On uh, this <laughs> on this whole entire season, so it's this entire season is going to be the three of us, uh, Danny Hyde, Peter Bell, and myself, and uh, we are on episode four. We're going to be talking about Exodus, the book in the chapter, this this second book in the Pentateuch. So we fi- finished Genesis. Uh, we're fast forwarding four hundred years into the future, and we're going to be talking about how uh, we're finding. Jesus through Exodus, the book of how come, Exodus. How come Nick's the only guy that looks older after 400 years? Me and Peter look still, uh, you know, <laughs> lack, lack of sleep and little kids. And, you know, right. I feel like has, I'm living Nick in has Exodus legitimate right excuses. Yeah. Yeah. I was Nick at one point. That's right. <laughs> now you yeah. look like a young man. So there is hope. Yeah. Uh, talking about hope, finding Jesus through the scriptures. And there you go. It is. Uh, uh, so if you guys go to our show notes, there's going to be helpful reminders of how to find us, connect with us, resources. So how to connect with us? Well, we have an email just like everyone these days, guiltgracepod at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter X, guilt, uh, at guiltgracepod handle, same handle for Instagram. Those are our two main social media. And then, of course, YouTube. Our YouTube audience is is getting quite a bit larger it's grown like crazy and it's a helpful platform if you just want to have these conversations that are automatically recorded in video format and you want to watch it or if that's just a better medium for you than uh, the podcast apps uh by all means subscribe to us on youtube and you can find the playlist uh sorting the different seasons again this is season seven there's also book clubs so you can check this out Danny's been on multiple times for previous seasons and book clubs, I believe. Uh, but he, yeah, so you can find him on, he's been on here so many times that uh, you, you definitely have first place as far as. I'm like uh, a squatter. I just made myself a, a host. <laughs> he does the Santa Ana way, which is just, you just start living in a house and you're like, yeah. oh, I guess this is mine now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, references I found helpful. There's a, Exodus ex- exegetical commentary by Victor Hamilton that I was going through. Uh, there's also the D.A. Carson Biblical Theology Study Bible that I've been using mm-hmm. for multiple episodes. I also got to give credit where credit's due. The Bible Project, Tim Mackey out there. He doesn't know probably who we are, but we know who he is. He's incredible. Helping me find like five minute episodes to do a crash course reminder <laughs> on connections and and they're, they're really helpful youtube yep. videos what do you guys think any helpful resources going into exodus or me and my bible that's all i need yeah that's there all you i go. got yeah 
solo scriptura, you know, solo scriptura, not so less scriptura, but it's so yeah. low. I was going to mention, uh, and I forgot to mention this book. Um, there's a Genesis, there's a Genesis one too. Hold on. Hmm. If you're looking yeah, on YouTube, you can see Danny's. Anyways, yeah, this book is by Nahum Sarna. Oh yeah, Nahum Sarna Sarna's is a, a Jewish a scholar. Yeah, this book called Exploring Exodus, like unbelievable, unbelievable. So, okay, he, you know, so he's not a Christian; he's Jewish. Yep. So obviously, you know, not going to see like messianic ties and you know christological stuff, but, no, but he does see a lot of stuff. If yeah, if you want to like understand, you know, just like yeah, awesome Old Testament scholar. Like laying it down. This is this is awesome. So this is, this is my copy. Like my cover's ripped, but uh, yep. it's pretty short. It's like uh, two hundred pages. Yeah, two hundred pages plus the notes at the end. End notes. Nice. Which I can't stand, but there there they are. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sarna exploring Exodus. Just uh, yeah, it's it's an awesome. But it's very it's short. It's accessible. It's written for lay people and uh, great great summary of Exodus. Yeah, and I've oh, got. I'll I'll talk more about some of these during the episode. But Greg Beal and Paul. Kim, I think it's Paul. No, Mitchell Kim. Mitchell Kim. It's Greg Peel and Mitchell Kim. They had a book in 2014 that was reprinted in the NSBT series that Nick and I had on for a book club. Is oh boy, I think it's God Dwells With Us. Is yep. is the book title, um, which yeah. you would not think is really an Exodus thing, but like they they really push mostly the last half of Exodus, like Exodus 21 to 40, which helps a lot with connections in the Bible. But I'll talk. Mm-hmm. I'll talk more of some of these resources. And then, can, uh, if I can self-promote, I forgot. <clears throat> oh, that's right. No, I know you have a book on this too. I have. A, I have a book on the last part of the of the of Exodus. God in uh, our midst. God in our midst. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. The subtitle is "The Tabernacle and Our Relationship with God," and it's published by uh, Well Reformation Trust slash Luganier. So, um, yeah, the book. Uh, there's also it's an audio book, but there's also uh, oh, a teaching series of videos. Um, yep. or DVDs with a study guide. Those videos. Yep. Yep. So you can read, you can watch some of the videos for free yep. on uh, Ligonier or also on YouTube. But then, uh, yeah, I would encourage people if you want to learn more about the tabernacle. Yeah. Um, We're I think it's talk a about the tabernacle book. today. It's a helpful book. Yeah. I, I think it's oh, a helpful yeah. book. So, so is it you reading the audiobook or is it like Morgan Freeman? Yeah. It's like, yeah. I you know, like Morgan Freeman's voice. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, James Earl Jones, whatever, you know, yeah, the tabernacle exactly. in our relationship with God. Well, it's, 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 it's Danny on Ligonier's website. So you get to hear oh, cool. Danny yeah. talking yeah, about the video. Yeah. The videos are me teaching, but then the yeah. audiobook is like, you know, one of these dudes with, you know, the golden, the golden throat, you know, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Cool. So Exodus, uh, helpful uh, laying groundwork again uh we we're picking up where we left off we're going 400 years into the future where we left off joseph and his family joseph is one of jacob's 12 children his entire family is now is in egypt and it goes from uh egypt providing you know food and sustenance and the home to all of a sudden over the course of 400 years, they become enslaved and beaten and oppressed. And Pharaoh is an evil person. He, up to this point, the most evil person, um, besides obviously the devil, comes up. You could and, say you know, he's people, a serpent-like you know. figure. Yeah, and uh, to, yeah, I mean it's no coincidence. Maybe he has like a serpent thing on it on their uh, the the Pharaoh's kind of crown. And and um, you ever seen Prince of Egypt? I'm pretty yeah. sure. I'm pretty sure. I this was. This was made a long time ago, but I'm pretty sure it was Disney who made this. I think yeah. 
Whoa. They made his staff with a snake on top of it, but I could be wrong. I don't think it was Disney. I think it was. A it was DreamWorks. Oh, it was DreamWorks, DreamWorks which yeah. I thought was a Disney owned. I'd be shocked if Disney made any. Uh, <laughs> I mean, anybody out there who does not watch the Ten Commandments on all four hours of it every year on Easter night, come on now, you know. Yeah, it where, is owned your, by it is owned by Disney. Well, where's your piety? Does. Yeah, where's your piety? That was the 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 old Brenner. Disney. Yeah. Yep. Old uh, Brenner versus Charlton Heston. What a battle! That's yeah. that's right. I forgot about that movie too. That's right. That's right. Yep. Um, I would say you know at this point Egypt. And Pharaoh have become more corrupt and evil than even Babylon at this point. And it's it's pretty bad. And so Exodus 1 through 10 uh, is dealing with the Hebrew people. The Israelites are oppressed in Egypt. Well, actually, and- it starts not even with oppression. Yeah, that doesn't start until verse uh, verse eight. It starts with like cre- like okay. like like creational. Language. Yeah, it starts with creational oh, language. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, this yeah. Parking lot that parking lot that verse and that idea for a second and then we'll loop back to that so exodus 1 through 10 yeah they're they're the israelites are in egypt they're needing to leave there's all the plagues and stuff like that and then let my people uh, go that yeah and then they leave egypt and then exodus 10 through 40 is the covenant at mount sinai so go, let's go circle back to because it's a connection 20, you mean 20 right yeah to 20 yeah it's the covenant yeah. sinai then 21 onwards is the yeah Regulations for the tabernacle. The law and the tabernacle, yeah. Cool. So let's circle back with Danny's comment about how the beginning of Exodus points to Genesis 1. Because that's yeah. a good... Well, you got Genesis... Or you got... Sorry. Yep. You got Exodus. That was a Freudian slip. Exodus 1, 1 through 7. Yep. Um, yeah, I'll let Danny take this because it does... That's the thing with Christians. Like, <laughs> we'll, we'll think Genesis 1 starts with the fall. It's actually... No, it starts with creation and goodness and perfection in the garden. And then it goes into the fall in Genesis 3. And the same thing we got with Exodus 1. It starts with creation-type language. So, yeah, Danny, take it. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's only seven verses, but just a great little prologue. Um, it's only Shemot. seven verses, yeah. but it's still seven packed verses. Yeah, yeah. So Exodus in our Bible, Wa'ela Shemot, if you're uh, Jewish, uh, yep. it's, and uh, these are the names, and these are the names. Um, so, yeah, there's there's these these names of the household of Jacob. Uh, the sons are mentioned, um, 70 persons, yep. um, so forth. But then Joseph dies, right? Yep. So there's a small, the, the you know, the, so this is the this is the seed, the family of yep. the uh, king of or like the king's right hand dies. Yeah, he dies. He and uh, the covenant people are very small, but then he dies. And then we read um, verse seven. There's this contrast. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and multiplied and grew exceedingly strong. So the land was filled with them. Sounds like Genesis 1 to me. Sounds a little like the commandment that God gave to Adam. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. And you start seeing Exodus 1, 7, and you're like, oh, oh, goodness. Israel is filling the earth, literally, and multiplying upon the earth. Yep. Yep. They're doing what God. Yeah, they're doing what God commanded Adam. connection between both. Yep. And also, this is what happened to what God commanded Noah and his sons to do after after the uh, the flood. So that's what they're doing. And they're filling. They're beginning to fill the sand and the stars of the heavens, right? Like that promise to Abraham is starting to get fulfilled, um, at least on one level. Yeah. So yeah, it's this opening creational blessing. And then that's, yep. but then in contrast to that, you have the next verse, right? Yeah. But there arose a new king Yep. over over Egypt, Pharaoh, who didn't know yeah. Joseph. So there's this contrast. The, the commandment, God's God's blessing is being fulfilled. And you can say Pharaoh, who's, I mean, really acting like the, the serpent, the snake, 
in the garden mm -hmm. notices that God's blessing is being fulfilled and, and the land is multiplying with God's yep. seed. And he recognizes, I got to stop this. Yep. Yeah. And he's, it, Pharaoh's kingdom epitomizes man's rebellion against God. So they going back to the beginning of Genesis, you know, their Pharaoh's Egypt is redefining good and evil on their terms in Egypt. So going back to the fall. And so they even by murdering the Hebrew children, by drowning them in the Nile river, they're seeing that good in their eyes and Egypt. So Egypt is, uh, well, even there, you got some callbacks too. the Nile is, is a pretty, pretty heavy callback to Noah, uh, and all evil, or, I mean, not really in this case, but all, all evil in Genesis six to nine dying in the flood who are not part of this arc. And so now you get, Pharaoh doing the same thing for the Hebrew children who are yep. now being drowned in the Nile. So another river. And I've, I talked about this, uh, my sermon last, this last Sunday, <clears throat> the, the Jewish people and rivers and oceans and stuff like the, they, they don't generally go all together. Yeah. It's, uh, it's not, it's not good news. It's, it's kind of the, a picture, a symbol of chaos for God's people. Cause you do get see people, the Philistines who don't get along with God's people at all either. But also, yeah, I mean, for the Egyptians, of course, the Nile was a god. Yep. And so this was Pharaoh's way of like making, uh, I mean, of making literally making offerings. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Of 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 enemies to the god. Um, but just like you have the, just like you have Noah and his family who are saved through the water in the same yep. way. Um, although Pharaoh commands this. Yep. God is still God is preserving and saving his people as it were through the water. So just yep. like the flood, like the ark. And it's not coincidental then chapter 2 that Moses when he's floating in the little the little uh, the floating little, like, a little ark, the little boat, it's the ark. It's the same it's the, it's same, the same Hebrew word. word. Yep. So he's floating on an ark on the water, he's being saved and because he's saved, <clears throat> the Israelites are saved. So in the midst <laughs> of death and destruction in these what you can call them judgment waters, like I think Nick has talked about before in relation to Noah, you have this vessel of salvation for Noah uh, that God's God is still preserving his line, utilizing even those who are in Egypt who may or may not know what they're doing. Yeah. Yep. So it's, yeah, it's really ironic that um, Moses is, you know, he's floating in the river and he's actually adopted by Pharaoh's family. Yep. And um, because they saw him a little, Hebrew boy. What do they say about him too? This is this is a beautiful boy. This is something like good in their sight too. There's there's also Moses was a good looking baby. That's that's right. He was. So, so they so he was saved and in in the uh God provide put him in the hands of like the evil household but saved him and had his redemptive history you know, grow through that as he was becomes, you know, before we saw Joseph as the prince of Egypt. And now we're seeing Moses still learn and grow up in the house of Egypt under Pharaoh, yep. um, which is really interesting. So you see him being educated in a secular world and yep. and things the like best, that. The, the, literally the best education a Hebrew could possibly get in the foot of Egyptian soil. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. And there's, there's also too, I mean, Danny, maybe you can talk about this as well. There's even beyond Exodus with Pharaoh killing all the babies of, of Hebrew. There's 
there's a little bit of a call forward and a call backward with, with the gospel of Matthew. Cause you get kind of the same thing with Herod too. Yep. Yep. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah, I mean, yeah, Pharaoh's like, uh, I mean, Pharaoh's obviously he's like an, he's an antichrist figure. Yep. And uh, the Pharaoh uh, and the Herod, it's very similar, right? All the, all the baby male, male boys, two years and below. Yeah. Cause he's Herod's looking for like, the you know, Messiah or the King or yep. whatever. He's like, no, I'm King. I don't want this guy coming yep. up. Yep. So yeah, and there's there's all those tie, you know, and then the same thing with Moses, um, Joseph, Moses, Daniel, yep. uh, later on, um, you know, Esther, like the God's people are saved through his people um being like very closely associated with the like the pagan powers. Yeah. God at times does that, right? So he can he can preserve his people in many different ways. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That was yeah, that is interesting because um when Jesus was born, all the Hebrew children at that time were ordered to be killed by Herod uh, because he learned about this prophecy and he's like, all right, kill all the baby Hebrew boys. And is it all the Hebrew boys in Matthew or is it just all the firstborns? Uh, Those under two years old. Yeah. Mm, I think I don't think it's just Hebrew. I think it's all under two years old. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's all the children. Yeah. In the, in that, in that region. Yeah. Okay. And so, yeah, Jesus was still preserved obviously. So yeah, we see that kind of connection with, uh, with baby Moses. So there you go. Um, we going to back to kind of just groundwork stuff. Um, you know, the, the word Exodus, you know, it means something, it means exit or departure. So we want to know Danny, Peter, you know, what, this is obvious, but it's worth talking about. Like, what are we, what are they need to be exiting from? What's the departure from what, why is there a need of God's people to leave this now horrible, oppressed, evil land to, still carry on the promise to Abraham to go to the promised land and put them out into the wilderness for 40 years, whether they like it or not. Well, you got, you got not, well, you got, what was it? Three chapters, three to 10 is kind of the narrative leading up to their actual Exodus. Cause you have, you have God's revealing of his name in Exodus three, two or Exodus three, 14. Um, I am who I am. He reveals it to Moses, which is kind of, I mean, I think Danny's talked about it, but maybe Danny, can you like in Genesis three or in Exodus three, 14, Moses asks Yahweh who, yep. like, who is sending him and his name had not re- had not been revealed. And I think you said something in an earlier episode, if you can like repeat, like why, like why this year, why is he revealing his name and why did it say that they didn't know it beforehand? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's like, it's a, like a long debatable question, but um, so yeah, the Lord says that uh, he's going to re- be remembered by this name. Um, he, you know, he hadn't revealed himself with this name before. Um, I am who I am, or I will be what I will be. And the context is his covenant. So because um, he talks about, um, you know, him being this, this God, the God that he was to the forefathers, because he's a God of your fathers has sent me. Yeah. So when he says, I am who I am, he's not just saying, you know, I'm the eternal God. That's what people usually jump to that. Oh, God's eternality. No, he's saying that the God that he was to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the same God who's speaking to Moses. Yeah. Is, is this like, he's the same God now. And he's always going to be the same God. Like he's the covenant keeping God. Yeah. He's made covenants with his people. He's made promises. He's going to keep those promises. Yeah. Although it's been hard for them, right? It's been 400 years. Yeah, but you so still Lord, see like that that callback in Exodus yeah. 1 where he is keeping his promise because the people right. are multiplying on the land. Yeah, and so the Exodus is to get them out of Egypt um so that they're not they're not uh you know wiped off the face of the planet so God keeps his promises, but also to get them 
back into the promised land, which is what God promised Father Abraham. Yeah. So this is, you know, the whole it's to get them to that land. Yeah. Uh, flowing with milk and honey so that his promises will then be, you know, again, fulfilled on that level uh, and then continuing. I will be who I will be right to to you. Yeah. And yeah. And then see, go for it. Yeah. We fast forward to uh, while Jesus was standing trial, they asked him who he was and he said, I am. Yeah. He says, I am quite a bit. Yeah. He says, I am in yeah. John eight. He says, yeah. I am there as well. Yeah. He says, yeah. I am in John 15. Yeah. It's all over the place. And it's also interesting how the Gospel of Luke describes Jesus going up to Jerusalem as his exodus. Yeah, yeah, that's actually what, uses Luke that language. Nine fifty-one or yep. something, fifty-two. Yep. That's his exodus. So yeah, he's he, he described like he self-describes it as, or I guess Luke yep. describes it as the exodus of Jesus. Yep. So that's right. jo Joseph went down to Egypt, and then Jesus came up out of Egypt into Exodus. He came towards. Well, he towards. he goes towards Jerusalem. Yeah. Um, for his yeah, he's going his, yeah, he's going towards Jerusalem for his death is his exodus. So yeah. and then and the beginning of Jesus's ministry, he spends forty days in the desert under yeah. temptation. When that points back to the uh, forty years in the yeah. wilderness of exodus. well, he was even called out as a as a baby. Yeah. This is Matthew one twenty one or two. I forget which reference it is, but it's calling back to Hosea eleven one out of Egypt. I called my son. Um, where he's he as a baby, Joseph and Mary take him from a vision to out from Egypt because Herod is killing all the all the firstborn sons, and so yep. they're taken out, exodized from Egypt into a different region. Yep, which is crazy because in Exodus they're leaving they're leaving Egypt, which is the worst place to be, the last place you want to be if you're a, if you're a Hebrew. Yeah, to mm -hmm. go into the promised land, yep. but in the case of Jesus. Uh, he goes back to the place that you don't want to go. Yep. Oh, yeah. Uh, at least like biblically speaking. He leaves, speaking. quote unquote, paradise and yeah. moves into the desert. He goes into because his whole life is to recapitulate the life of Israel, yeah. to be the true Israelite and to be the Messiah. So mm -hmm. uh, to bring them uh, to to obey uh, in a way that they had not. Right. I mean, they're in the wilderness for four years because they're disobedience. Yeah. So Jesus goes down as a baby or as a child and then comes back mm -hmm. up. And his whole life is is recapitulating the life of the Israelites. Forty days, forty days in the wilderness, yeah. temptation, uh, his exodus to Jerusalem. Uh, you know his, his his obedience to the law. Um, yeah. You know all these things are you know these are signs that this is you know the Son of Man yep. in human flesh. This is the Messiah. So yep, the one who identifies as corporate Israel, but also as a as a human. Yeah, um, it's a God human who you now yep. takes upon the burden that corporate Israel and that we have failed yeah. and does it perfectly. And since you mentioned chapter three, um, I don't know what Nick had in mind, but um, since we're since we're already there, yeah, uh, isn't it interesting when when the Lord reveals Himself to Moses uh, on the mount, He does so in a in a in in, in the imagery of a of a fire. Yep, and yeah. we've seen this already. We've in seen Genesis this with Abraham. 15. Yeah. With Abraham, the smoking yeah. fire pot. I think it's the torch. same word too in Hebrew. If I'm not, I like I could be mistaken, but it, it's either the that same. I'm not word sure. Yeah, like, I'm not 100 like, sure. Same that. like word group. But yeah, fire in you know fire and smoke with Abraham. Uh, Abram's sacrifice in Genesis 15. Mm -hmm. You have the bush that's burning but not consumed in Exodus three. Yep. You have the pillar, the pillar, not pillars, but pillar of cloud mm -hmm. and fire. It's cloud during the day and fire at night. Um, right, and like that, that in a fire and smoke reappears again in the tabernacle uh reappears in the temple and then uh it's not like it shouldn't surprise us like 
the prophets talk about this language of yep. fire and smoke and so forth. And then all of a sudden, on the day of Pentecost, uh, there are these fire like things that look like heads. look like flames of uh, tongues of fire upon yep. their heads. Yep. So yeah, I mean, this is like biblical language, the presence of God. Then oh. then they um, I. Sorry, I lost my train of thought, but I was thinking of the, uh, well, before I get back to my first train of thought, I was thinking of also <laughs> Mount Sinai. Oh, that's what it is. The, bur- the, the burning you're talking about, it's almost, it's reestablishing a covenant that he made with Abraham. Uh, so he's, con- he's confirming that I am the one who made a covenant with Abraham yeah, and I'm fulfilling yeah. this covenant through. That's, his, right. yeah, now. that's his visible presence. Yeah, that's right. Which so, they would like going back to our first episode on, or I guess our second was our first or second. We talked about, um, you know, how, how, how uh, Moses wrote and how he transmitted yeah. the, 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 the Pentateuch. So mm-hmm. they would have known those stories by passing down like oral tradition. Yeah. So they would have taught this to our to the children, you know, that father Abraham, you know, saw this vision of God and he, the Lord, and he was fire, fire and smoke. So that when Moses, the, you know, Moses then sees that he knows that's why he falls on his face. Like he knows yep. it's God. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as he records it, it, it brings back to the memory. Like, oh, this is a tie back to Abraham. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's the same God. Like I am who I am. The same God who appeared to Abraham is the same God who appeared to Moses. Hmm. Yeah. Totally. Because the, like if God didn't reveal himself that way, if God never revealed his name as the Lord in previous generations, why would that be the answer to his question? You know, tell me, you know, tell me who you are so I can tell them who sent who sent me. And he's like, I am who I am. I sent you. Well, if they didn't know that was his name, how would that be an answer? Because they knew the story. They're like, oh, great. Yeah, whatever. But now that he's. They knew the story. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. So they had heard the story of Father Abraham. And all of a sudden, like, here's Moses now who's recording this and telling them, no, the same God just appeared to me in fire again. Hmm. uh, And he is he's here. Right. He's here to save. Yeah, true. Speaking of mountains, <clears throat> mountains are really important in scripture, and I found it really interesting, um, too. And I, I heard this recently from adult Sunday school at my church that uh, Pastor John was talking about how mountains are so important because, you know, even the Garden of Eden was a mountain. And then we go to, to Mount Al- is, Well, I want to back that up, too. It's according to Ezekiel 28, because that tells us that uh, um, Eden was on top of some mountain. Yeah, because yeah. rivers flow down from a mountain and and so so we look at eden and then we look at mount ararat where noah's ark landed yeah and we're looking at mount moriah mount sinai where the ten commandments are given in that mount sinai points to the sermon on the mount by jesus on the mount of olives you get mount zion you get where jerusalem's at you get where the temple's at yeah you get all this stuff that's and even like the the remember the 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 tower of babel is a human constructed mountain exactly right (laughs) and and when the Lord appears to Jacob, and I guess you get a mountain too in Genesis twenty-eight with a yeah. with a ladder thing. So too. yeah, when the Lord appears himself to Jacob, it's you know in a in some kind of you know mountain like a high place, right? Yeah. Whether it looks like a mountain or not, I don't know, but you know, there's <laughs> yeah, this ladder totally. that comes down, the staircase that comes down, you know. So this is meant to be a mountain figure, yeah. like a mountain image, and that's why they built these tall pyramids and ziggurats and Chichen Itza, you know, like they're because- very well aware that this is. God Human beings stuff. know this, like intuitively, that there is a God, and yep. we build things to try to get to Him. Yep. You yep. know, or, rep- or represent Him, or, or you know, somehow tap into Him. Like we all know that as human beings, that that's what we do. Yep. So yeah. you know, we don't build mountains today necessarily, but you know, we have our own ways of doing. Well, it. yeah, in a sense, like we kind of do. We like before in the early night or twentieth century, we were building we were building skyscrapers. We're trying to kind of reach the the highest heights 
and then now we're we're building um it may not be mountains but we're we're building kind of vast ai and kind of social media empires to not so much try to meet god but to try to make ourselves god yeah like yeah it's, exactly this has so, never you know, changed it, like we're always doing the same thing yeah like your social media you know you, you know who who has the most followers on on, on instagram or that's your little or twitter like you're making a name for yourself yeah like you oh. are virtually doing what they did at the tower of babel you're trying to you know yep. reach this pinnacle of life you yep. may not think you're trying to be god or trying to you know you, you people may not you know be that a conscious uh, thought full of, full of hubris but <laughs> yeah it's like a human sinful condition that we try yeah. to you know we, we try to make ourselves you know somewhat of a divine being by our popularity the amount of money what we have the accumulation of you know properties and whatever it is like mm -hmm. influence power like yeah it's it's all the same thing yeah, and we don't have to be told the stories of scripture about mountains yep. for ourselves to want to make mountains of ourselves or of other things. Yeah, and, and going back to what we said last time, like you know, the the wonderful the 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 thing about the gospel is that the 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 mount like the mountains that God sets up, not man, mm -hmm. but that God sets up are always Him coming down to us. Yeah, like it's always meant for Him to come down to us. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, the 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 Tower of Babel people make that to go to God. Then all of a sudden, God appears to Jacob in Genesis twenty eight. Mm -hmm. This ladder coming down from heaven, right? There's Jesus. We said Jesus talks about uh, in John one. So yeah, mountains are really important. It's how God meets with His people. And Israel does not want to go up the mountain in Exodus nineteen, yeah. and they send Moses to go up, and then God meets Moses down upon mountain because he, he tells Moses. That he comes up, not Moses, out of his own. Yep. Like you know what, I'm gonna go meet God. He's like, eh, absolutely not. I'm gonna. And then he tells him to build the tabernacle exactly as I told you to build it. Like this is not your ingenuity. This yeah. is which we'll come to. But like this is yeah. the mountain of God. It's turned on its side. It's horizontal, mm -hmm. but it's the mountain of God. Yep. Totally. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Uh, when you were talking about mountains, it made me think of like those are human works aimed at trying to achieve a man-made salvation. Because uh, trying to save yourself outside of God and all that stuff, just man-made works. So um, yeah. instead and of maybe God's not even salvation, but like man-made exaltation. I want to make myself yeah. really big. Yeah. I don't even care about yeah. salvation. I just want to yeah. make myself really big. So yeah, man, uh, God created the the actual mountains. So those are the ones we're talking about in Scripture. And uh, go for a hike, everybody. Maybe after this episode, it'll encourage <laughs> people to. You know, go get some fresh air. Go, 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 go climb your local, uh, or mountain. go to church on Sunday and go to your local yeah. mountain. There yeah, you go. There we go. Mount <laughs> <laughs> We're going to Mount Zion right yeah. there. That's, that's there you go. Our church is yeah. described as Mount Zion. Us yep. Amen. Yeah. So, um, this is a, before we get into some other details, uh, another kind of comment or a question or two about the structure of Exodus, because I think it's super helpful. Another way of thinking about it that I read was uh, the first half of Exodus is why the Israelites needed to worship the Lord. And the second half of Exodus is how the Israelites worship the Lord. Any comments or, or that's a, that's a pity know. way of putting it. Yeah. yeah something like that. Something like that. You know, there's, so, I mean, there's for sure more to it, but yeah, it's, I guess it's a pithy summarized way of describing it. Yeah. I've always described Exodus as it's, um, it's redem it's it's redemption and then it's um like adoration like yeah. so there's the there's the there's the exodus 
which God liberates them and redeems them. And then he brings them to Mount Sinai and teaches them you know, his law, but especially the tabernacle, how to worship. Yeah. So yeah, it's all about redemption and, and, and like, you know, our response. So it's grace and gratitude. Yep. Nice. So that, so there is a re- really helpful structure to the entire redemptive story within Exodus that you can see law and gospel in it. Um, so the overall theme of God's promises and fulfillments and Exodus is just such a key importance. So um, would you say like the, the major paradigm of salvation in the old Testament, we can look at, look at Exodus physical deliverance from Pharaoh's oppressive regime foreshadows God spiritually delivering his people in the new Testament under the bondage of sin and the devil. And then number two, Israelites fail to keep God's covenant, tragic failings and not upholding the 10 commandments leads to the hope in the new covenant. Number three, the Lord's dwellings dwells among his people in the tabernacle. We'll talk about the interesting part of the traveling tabernacle where it's actually walking through the wilderness. God is walking through the wilderness with his people, which doesn't quite happen yet in Exodus. So after Exodus, there's some points to, you know, what, what the tabernacle is and, you know, also just God taking care of his people while they're in exile, um, feeding them manna and telling them to strike the rock to get water that points to Christ. That manna is really interesting because it's just, it's sustenance. It's what they need to survive. But then they start complaining when the, the excitement of leaving Egypt wears off and they start missing the the nice food and the, you know, two, three, three hots and a cot in, you know, Egypt. That youth group mountain high wear off. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) We we should, uh, I don't know if you have a question, but we should, we should talk about the plagues even too, before absolutely we get to some of Sinai and stuff. That's um, I mean, the structure of the play, I mean, you can talk about the structure of the place too, but like you also get both a, a, um, a strife is the wrong word, but like a war sort of kind of between Yahweh and Egypt's gods and Yahweh just does away with Egypt's gods. And then towards the end of it, sort of similar language that you get with Noah and the destruction of the world, you get sort of at the end, I think plagues nine and 10, especially with the, the, uh, the blackening of the sun and the, the destruction of, of the firstborn, you get a lot of similar language you get with Noah's Ark, obviously not a flood, but you get kind of a flood of darkness over the last, the last play or the last, last ninth plague, plague is darkness. And then I think the 10th plague is the death of the firstborn sons in Egypt. So you get like very similar language, very similar judgments, like decreation language at the end of the plagues in, in Egypt, as you get with Noah's, with Noah's Ark and the flood there too. I don't know, Denny, what, what do you what do you think about the plagues there too and, and how they how they play in the Exodus story? Uh yeah, I was just thinking it's been a, quite a while since I've like opened this book, but it's on my shelf. Um it's called Moses and the Gods of Egypt. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. So studies in Exodus by John uh J. Davis, Moses and the God of in the Gods of Egypt. Mm-hmm. Um I think John Curry has something sort of like that too. It's like yep. I forget the, yeah. the name of the book. So like kind of like what Nick said against like the, the gods. That's, that was the that was the book title against, against the, gods. the gods. Yeah, so kind of like Nick said about um like the first part of the book is about you know why they had to be, you know, liberated and you know then how they worship in the second part of the book. Um, so yeah, why they had to be liberated? Well, it's got, you know obviously because of their sins and whatnot and their yeah. oppression, but God is also 
showing the Israelites there in Egypt through the plagues that he's the one true God. Yeah. So, um, you know, these, these, and I don't know if every single one of the plagues is necessarily on a particular God. Cause I don't, yeah, think, I don't think all of them are, but I think, a I don't lot think gnats were gods, but yeah. Um, but like Bob's, there, I yeah, know our one, the Nile there definitely one. are like divine beings that the Egyptians worshiped. And, you know, some of them were, uh, the, the plagues were against some of them so yeah. you know at a minimum um uh, because like the, god does say um uh is it in exodus where he, he talks about like these plagues run the gods of egypt i can't remember the, where that phrase comes from but um i, I'm I don't recall yeah so but uh yeah the plagues are definitely like god's warfare on uh the false gods and the idols of yeah. the egyptians especially pharaoh himself right i mean yep. that's like taking away his firstborn son like that was like the biggest yeah. thing he can do you know, I mean, besides striking Pharaoh dead, but like, you know, the firstborn son, like taking away his heir, like, you know, all the, all the, you know, his kingdom, his, his line, seed, done. Yeah. His seed, like he's cr like in the play, like in the killing of the firstborn, that plague, like God is, you know, temporarily sort of typologically at least yeah. uh, on one level, he's fulfilling Genesis 315. Yeah. He's, that he's taken down the seed of the serpent. The Lord is crushing the seed of the serpent. Yeah. He's ending the line. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's like great drama. I mean, obviously like, you know, it's, you know, putting the movies and whatever, but it's, it is like a great dramatic, yeah. like story. And it's hard to preach it. Cause like, how do you preach these plagues yeah. one at a time? Um, but you know, that's the big idea is God is doing his work of, you know, that enmity between the sea of the woman, sea of the serpent. So, yeah. Well, and b before people all of a sudden jump in and, and say, Oh God, how could God do that? Kill uh, but, but that's a response, I believe, to Pharaoh first ordering this this killing of yeah, Hebrew. Yeah, Exodus 1 children. and 2, yeah. And it goes to, so it makes a full circle. And the final plague is, uh, you know, Pharaoh's or the Egyptian children um, being killed. And God is not a murderer. He's the creator. He's, he's you know. Yeah, well, it's it's judgment. It's like he is. Yeah, he's a perfectly just God. Yeah, yeah, it's he's he's judging Egypt both for what they had done, obviously to his people, but also he's judging them in a picture, really, of what like the end looks like. The that, final judgment. That's right. Yeah, of, yeah. of all the final yeah. judgment that this is like all things will be made yeah. right, and then all evil will be wiped out, and righteousness will reign. Not because we are ourselves righteous in and of yeah. ourselves, but because God's justice will reign. Overall yep. things. Yeah. And I think like a lot of people, like those questions come up in the old Testament and they get yeah. freaked out by it and they, you know, they're not sure how to answer. Um, it's interesting how, you know, going all the way to the end of the Bible book of revelation, the book of revelation describes the, the, uh, the trumpets, uh, the seals, trumpets, and bulls, um, the seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bulls as plagues. Yeah. They're described yep. in plague language. Um, why somewhat um, similar plagues yep. i think from exodus too even like so, the, the substance of them yeah yeah exactly so um like earthquakes like this is what people don't get like you know we live in a materialistic world we live in a very like naturalistic like world with the natural uh, naturalistic worldview earthquakes um you know here in san diego we have wildfires yeah. flooding uh, war. And of course, they're like they're natural events. Like we, we yeah. wouldn't deny that whatsoever. But all these, like, you know, all these supposed natural occurrences, um, you know, it, but war, uh, just death itself, suffering, plague, like famine. Um, we we don't recognize this anymore. But Revelation, 
as it's using all, all this beautiful language. Yeah. Like the hand of God is in all this people and God is warning the world. Every time there's an earthquake, God warns the world of the final judgment. And every time mm-hmm. there's a flood, people don't want to hear that, but it's true. Every time there's a, there's a wildfire, every time there's a famine, like these are, these are not number one. These are the effects of a fallen world. And this mm-hmm. is how the world works. Mm-hmm. And how the world is, you know, in its fallenness, it's like, it's you know, trim, the tremors devolving. of old yeah. creation. Yeah, it's devolving. But it's also God's hand of providence is in these things as a warning. That's what Revelation describes. Like, these are warnings to the world mm-hmm. to turn and repent yeah. from sin and from self and turn to the Lord who's coming in judgment. Yeah. So going all the way back to the Exodus then, like mm-hmm. these plagues were warnings to they're the pictures Egyptians. of judgment. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, the war- they're yeah, exactly. Judgment, but they're pictures of future. Final there's something judgment. greater. There's something more. There's something worse. And like, it, it, you know, you see it get picked up in the prophets. Like I'm reading through Ezekiel right now and all, in, all uh, like over and over and over again, the Lord oh, says, yeah, Ezekiel's you know, all about this. <laughs> I'm going to send, you know, the, you know, the Babylonians against you. They're going to do this and they're that and this and that. And he's like, you know, why? So that you will know that I'm the Lord. Like there's always this like, Hey, so that you'll wake up and like smell the coffee and like open your eyes and realize who is in control and turn, like repent. He even tells them because mm-hmm. by that point they had done so many, they had done so much that he was going to do what he's going to do. God even Pharaoh says, kind of like, looks like he's about to repent and then keeps yeah. on not repenting. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. Anyways, and it's and- these are meant to be little little glimpses of final judgment, yeah. so that people would turn. Yeah. So repent. Danny, you can see those final judgment. Uh, things and you know Exodus is showing how you know final judgment uh, will be, but we could see those things and still not be pre millennialist. Oh yeah, pre millennial has nothing to do <laughs> yeah, with the yeah. judgment stuff. Yeah. Well, I want to say that because I know that uh, a yeah. lot of audiences that's a dominant view in especially American churches that yeah. the the you know pre millennialist eschatology. So I think that they started the pre mill guest or audience might have started here. You talking about like yep, see. See, and but but I wanted to make sure there's a clarification there that no, we as all millennials or even post mill people can see what you're saying. Well, and post mill is going to see less and less strife until Jesus comes, but all mill is like, I don't know, it's going to be strife until Jesus comes. It's yeah. going to be like blessings and curses and you know, ups yeah. and downs and like yeah. weed and tears, no straight line really until yeah. the Lord returns. So, yeah. Yeah. yep, and it, maybe a real, a tiny little comment. And I, I think what some people might do with what Danny just said, because I'd say a hearty amen to everything. Somebody might, you'll hear like TV preachers talk about this. They'll like, they'll blame specific actions for whatever judgments have come upon them for like people have heard of like Westboro Baptist and all that Like stuff. some sin. Yeah. Some yeah, one they'll, sin. They'll blame oh, a yeah. specific yeah. sin for why this judgment's coming. And that's yeah. not what Danny's saying. Danny's saying yeah. it's like be, because of sin, generally speaking. Generally speaking. Yeah. That, that all yeah. these all these tremors of judgment come and you like don't play God and think, you know why these are coming specifically. Just know yeah. that this is a result of sin yeah. and human destruction. Yeah. Only if there is one sin that led to, you know, an earthquake, only God knows that. Exactly. Only yeah. God knows that. But in, we can say from our, you know, from our finite vantage point that you see yeah, sin in general, uh, uh, like Romans eight, like, yeah. These are the groanings Death, of, corruption, of the creation, sin, everything like that. Yeah, like under sin and 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 captivity, the creation is groaning out for its redemption, and all these things are like just like birth pangs of that yep. final that final day. Yep. Yeah, and I I don't know if we talked about it in the last episode. I would be surprised if we skipped it because it's so big. 
uh, in Genesis talking about uh, destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah mm-hmm. too. We see that yeah. kind of final Pretty similar judgment. language. Yeah. Language. Yeah. yeah. And he saves a remnant It's you know, he's rescues lots people, but going into how we see this in and Je- uh, also in Exodus, the Passover uh, yep. language and, and, and it's, it's just really interesting because the God tells his people to put blood of lambs on their doorposts. And that really is obviously well, it tells them to slaughter to... the lambs first and then to put the, the right. well, blood on the doorpost. Yeah. Yep. yeah. It's pointing obvious language to Jesus's blood on the cross. Yep. And this is so... called lamb of God who takes away this in the world by John the yep. Baptist twice in yep. John one. Yep. Yeah. So that's like a huge, uh, obvious one of how Exodus points to, to Christ. Yeah. The and it points, yeah. It points back to Genesis three. Again, the first sacrifice that God made. Yep. To cover Adam and Eve. Yeah. Uh, the sacrifices that Abel was making of his firstborn and the fat portions thereof. Yep. In Genesis four. Um, yeah. I mean, it's pointing to like, hey, your sin, sin needs to be covered. Yeah. Then, you know, this is why Meredith Klein, my Old Testament professor in seminary, yeah. uh, said it's not the feast of Passover, but the feast of cover over. That's I was I'm so yeah. happy you said that. Yeah. 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 Because so, you need to cut like there's a cut like we need a covering. And the Old Testament sacrifices, now this, again, like I'm going way far ahead, but like yeah. Book of Hebrews says like those sacrifices can never take away sins. Yeah. But they did provide a covering, you know, as it were, like sort of in imagery. Something like, was judged and something, killed for yeah. somebody else. Something was judged on behalf of you. And, you know, therefore you are covered yeah. in this temporary kind of typological way. And that's what the Passover It's like, hey, this house is covered. Yeah, something and, you know, they, died to cover yeah. you because it's not just and the angel um, passes by. So yeah, it's not. I think sometimes this gets talked about as just Passover. It's like, oh, okay, cool. The blood's over there, so I'm gonna go somewhere else. Yeah. When the spirit goes over, I'm not gonna put words in the spirit's mouth, but yeah. yeah. But the spirit goes over this house or these houses. It looks and says, okay, something has died in this house. Yeah. Not yeah, and it's covered. Not died. Yeah. There's something yeah. has died, and these people are covered by that death. Therefore, yeah. I will pass over this house. I'm satisfied yeah. with this death. This is why we reform people need to adopt uh, Lutheran church architecture and paint our front doors red. Have you ever heard that about Lutheran? Lu- I, I, old I've heard Lu- this. Lutheran I know churches. of this. Yeah. Yep. yep. Yeah. They my brother went red. to Lutheran elementary school and I remember going Red Hill Lutheran elementary school. Oh, I remember, there you go. I remember going to some of their service and like, yeah, it's, it's a, uh, it's a relatively like, it's a like, cool thing. Your house would have stunk when you put the the the, <laughs> the the lamb's blood on that. You would have seen this stuff and you would have recognized I had to kill something yeah. for myself to be passed over in judgment. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's it's not that's why, like, we can't just look at justification as, oh, my sins are covered. No, I had to like something had to die for my sins to be covered and then give me that righteous standing yep. uh, instead of my own righteous standing. So, yeah, Passover. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, big. that's sacrifice in and of itself like uh didn't technically uh, no but it was their trust in god's promise there's it was their trust that this sacrifice covers my sin not that not that this lamb itself covers my sin but that the sacrifice that god has told me to do that this covers my sin that's why like yeah like we would say the passover lamb is just like the just like the rainbow to noah like the tree of life like the sacrificial cloak like this is sacrament is a sacrament of of the grace of God. And so, you know, the, the trust is in the Lord, but the Lord gives this visible sign to, uh, to encourage their faith that what they're trusting is real and true. Yeah. So God is, Absolutely. God is assuring them. Yep. We see the 
uh, Jewish Pharisees in the New Testament missing the point. Actually, they, they get see, it dead on on the law. They like they get well, the they, law. They just think it's they think it's easy to follow. That's what I mean. Is they they look at the sacrifices of the Mosaic law and you know, but, but that you know, even honoring the Passover and doing that, but they miss the point that that's pointing towards Christ. It's 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 not an ends of itself. It's a it's a sh- typologically showing towards you know having true faith in Christ. Um, so that, yeah, that's this this is one of those things I think people miss about the Pharisees. I think people think. The Pharisees have the wrong idea of the law as if like, uh, yeah, as if maybe just stop somewhere. But I think they get the law in a sense, like you have to keep it if you want righteousness, yeah. but they don't realize they can't keep it. They they yeah, think right. they can keep this and that they, they're told time and time again, you can't keep it. So believe on the Christ who is keeping this law for you, which yeah. is what they don't get. They like, they think, yeah. oh, I can keep. So really it's not, they have too high of a view of the law. And sometimes I've heard people say, the Pharisees have too high of a view and they have way too low of a view of the law. They think it's too easy right. to, to kind of follow. Exactly. No. Yeah. Yeah. You yep. articulated what I was trying to say. Yep. So, uh, where are we, so like, are we gonna get to the tabernacle here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, go we'll for get it. there. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, yeah. Like I'm, Passover. I'm following Nick's, I'm following Nick's lead. Yeah, yeah, just like Passover, uh, the actual Exodus, the Red Sea crossing, the Nick oh, was yeah. mentioned, like the water, the water from well, the rock, the manna from heaven. Like, there's all these amazing signs. So much yeah. stuff in Exodus. Yeah. How about before we hit Red Sea and Tabernacle? One one kind of point about Pharaoh's heart being hardened, I think, is important to point out is that um, because that gets a lot of kickback from you he know, hardens his heart and God hardens his heart. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Pharaoh's heart was hardened first. He chose to not follow God, and God gave him a lot of chances. The first half of the plagues, God never used language that he would harden his heart yet until the last half of the plagues. So his heart was already, he was self-hardening his heart. And then God hardened his heart towards the uh, last plagues. He gave him a lot of chances. He knew what was going to happen, but it was showing. Um, well, that's what, you know, that's what sin does to you. Sin, <laughs> sin hardens, sin hardens yeah. people's hearts. We want to, we want to harden our hearts against God. <laughs> and yeah, it could be confusing and hard. Like why would God, harden his heart but i imagine if you asked pharaoh is god hardening your heart he would have told you no i'm hardening my heart like god has nothing to do yeah. with this yep but yeah, we we, yeah we're like yeah anybody who's listening to this who's who's not a christian is like no god's not hardening my heart like i i myself don't believe in god when we know god hardens hearts i mean and people harden their hearts we don't know exactly how it works but we know as humans it doesn't feel like it but it's it's what's true that's the whole point because uh, pride is pride and rebellion is what killed Pharaoh's son. You know, his own pride oh, and rebellion sin killed uh, Pharaoh's son. Yeah, yeah. Which is pride in his, the, the, the result of sin is, is Pharaoh's pride and rebellion getting to the point where the final plague was killing his own son. So, uh, but, but because of God's covenant and love with his people, he will provide his son to save his people, Christ. Mm-hmm. Yep. So let's, let's just, I know Danny's just itching to talk about the Red Sea pointing to There's Christ. There's just back. so much in the book of <laughs> All that stuff and the tabernacle. So go for it. Well, maybe talk, uh, maybe talk about the Red yeah. Sea first. Yeah, talk about the Red Sea first. Again, you get like, you have, so you have the waters in creation. You have the rivers yep. flowing from Eden. Then you have yep. the, um, the, the water judgment in Noah. That you yep. have um, waters. I'm trying to think if there's any waters 
previous well, you have famine i guess in yep um in in joseph's time and then you have the they have the river water in exodus one and two which has very similar language and you get basically the same language all over again in the red sea where you have this water that they have to pass through which sounds a little bit sort of yep. like noah uh and yeah so danny i'll, I'll I, I did that for a little no, it's, it's, for, yeah i mean it's all good going for uh, what, like what is like what's happening in this red sea that reminds us of what happened before I, I always find it awesome, um, even before that, where the like the path that God takes them on, because remember it's the yeah. pillar of fire and cloud yep. that leads them. So whenever you know, whenever the whenever the the, the cloud rests, yeah, they, they rest. Stop. Whenever it yep. gets up and takes off, they go after it. So isn't it interesting how God leads them all the way to the shores of this wherever this Red Sea was? Yeah. Um, and so they and then they turn their and they, and they turn around at their backs. Uh, you have Pharaoh's armies, right? So like they're, they're, they're stuck. God brought them to this spot where they had nowhere to go. You can <laughs> yeah. walk into the water yeah. and let's not forget, like probably nobody in those days swam. So they're no, all going to drown. Yeah. If you, if you were in water, um, you died. <laughs> yeah. This is why they threw you in water, like water or that's why they like, threw Jonah in water. Cause it, like the dude was going to die. Yeah. Like they didn't know. Hey, if they didn't know that you were guilty of something, they were throwing the water and it's like, Hey, if you swim, that means that the gods are on your side. If you drown the gods, that you're guilty, you know. Yeah, water was um, judgment in this at this time. That's right. What so, but it's so God leads them there, and then you know, of course, they freak out, and then it's the <laughs> Lord then who has Moses lift up his hands. Uh, and then I've always found it interesting and amazing too. Like the sea doesn't just miraculously part, God uses no. it like all night. There's a wind from the east. Yep. So God uses the natural phenomenon. I had never of, noticed this until about a year ago. Yeah. So like the Santa Ana wind comes in, you know, and like yeah, splits the sea. It's pretty cool. Like I mean, you can call it like natural phenomena, then yep. splits the sea in half. So, you know, in other words, like it's like the same thing as the plagues, like the Lord's in control of all creation. Yep. You know, uses creation to yeah, uses to, it to for his purpose. Them. Yeah. So they cross through on dry land. Um, it's interesting. It, again, it's interesting how Paul the Apostle says that although they walked upon dry land, they were baptized. Yep. <laughs> so, um, you know, I guess the myth baptism wasn't them. underwater. It was through water. Maybe it just sprinkled on their head. Yep. Yeah. The mist kind of hit their heads. Um, yeah. yeah they passed through. They passed through. And then uh, all of a sudden the Pharaoh decides like, hey, charge. You know, then the Lord's like, okay, you're done. And you also uh, get splitting water. I think it's the same phrase again in Hebrew, the splitting of the water in the Red Sea with the splitting of the water for dry land in creation. That's Genesis one, two, that I think that splits, I think it's the same uh, word. Yeah. I'm not sure for splitting the water. I, I'm yep. pretty sure it's the same word for splitting the water in creation for the dry land to show up. Um, and the same thing with the red sea where the splitting of the water for dry land to show up and Israel walks through and that water, like the flood of Noah's time comes back on to judge um, Pharaoh and his, his chariots. Yeah, there you go. So it's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. You, and yeah, you have uh, all sorts of like elusive language, which is again, while you have to read your Bible with your, it's hard, but you have to read your Bible with the entire Bible in mind. Yep. Yeah. And I always like how right after, uh, I mean, we're not sure how much time elapsed, but like textually speaking, like right after this happens, they've just seen like the greatest miracle yeah. <laughs> that's ever been performed on the face of the planet. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. um, they're like, dude, there's no water here to drink. They start grumbling. Yeah, you're like, <laughs> there's no water here. It's like, bro, didn't he like, didn't the Lord just like split a sea in two? Like, he can yeah. he can do what he wants. Which kind of again sounds like Abraham, where 
He was shown the sign of the covenant. Yeah. He was promised. And then yep. what does Abraham do twice after being shown the sign of the covenant? He gives away his freaking yep. wife and then goes and takes yep. a, another another woman and, and gives birth. And then Israel does the same thing that Israel that Abraham just did, where they're delivered through this sign. But I mean, this this real thing that happened to them. And then they start grumbling against God. I was like, well, we're hungry yep. and thirsty now. What are you going to do for us after he just. So, yeah, them? the Lord, you know, the Lord heals the water. And they drink, and then of course, like after they get the water, they're like, "Hey, there's no, there's no, there's no food here." <laughs> yeah. And then Lord's like, "Okay, here you go. Here's, some, here's this like this what Psalm seventy eight calls angels' food. Yep, uh, food of angels. Yep. So the manna that comes out of heaven. And of course, they grumble again. They're like, "Okay, we have a lot of bread. We have water and bread now, but where's mm -hmm. the meat? Yep. Okay, fine. You want meat? You're gonna get meat. It's gonna come out of your ears. Like, you give you so meat. much meat, you're gonna hate it. They're all just like gut busted on meat." <laughs> Get gout, <laughs> you know. Like, you, uh, Thanksgiving, you actually get yeah, the same. Like, Sorry, keep going. No, I was gonna say it's like it's like on Thanksgiving they had so much turkey and they like you know <laughs> have to like un unbutton their their pants because they're so like just overly like gut busted, yeah. you know. You um, get very similar language in John six. So I've been <laughs> preaching yep. through John John the Gospel. Yeah, the grumbling. Yeah, the grumbling. Yeah, you get grumbling in John six when he feeds the five thousand men. So it's probably fifteen twenty thousand yep. people there in total. And after so he's. He's there, so the the Lord incarnate is there with them. And what are they doing when they talk to the Lord incarnate? They grumble, and then he has this bread that he gets from a little a little child, and yep. starts feeding them. And then what do they do right after? This is the end of John six. They freaking grumble again after yeah, just yeah. being fed. So you see, like all these callbacks from the Gospel of John two that helps us better understand Exodus yep. and this man as well. Yeah, can, yeah. The next to the seventeen, um, they're complaining again about water. It's like you just had water, <laughs> like you just got water. You got bread. You got meat. Like everything you need. And they're complaining again about water. And that's when Moses, so God says, you know, to, uh, you know, strike the rock. Yep. Um, but of course he does it twice, right? Yep. That's a number. In numbers, though, it says he did it twice. That's what God was angry. Um. Yeah. So um, he's supposed to yeah. do exactly what God. So people are like, "Oh, what's the big deal about Moses striking?" Because yep. God told him to strike it once. That's the big God deal. said do it. Yeah, exactly. So, but he gives them water again, and then there's the Malachites, and they're all freaking out again about the Malachites, yeah. you know. And then God's like, "Okay, I'll do my thing again." Moses stand <laughs> stand on the hill, put yeah. your arms in the air. You know, they're gonna hold your arms up, and as long as, long as he holds his arms, they win the battle. They're gonna win. Those are it. Like, they lose the battle. Sorry, so Nick, Nick, Nick has his hand up like a good student. Yeah, yeah. I was just saying, I'm I'm laughing because I can just picture parents of little kids nodding their heads and be like, "This is so s similar to what I do." I'm gonna say, not freaking kids. This is like I'm raising my own hand. It's like that's me, and like you, well, I'm, I know I'm the stinking Israelite in this thing where God God has given me so much and given me a son, yeah. and then I still look back at him as like, okay, well, what else? What about everything else? And he's like, what? what? Do you like? Do you not even trust me? Yep. I was like, well, yes, I know. I don't. Yeah, I don't mean to take that part away from that. We do that, but I can see how. Yeah, now, there's a vivid picture with parents and their. Yeah, there's sure. a little bit of a perspective where, like, oh man, that's God has so much patience that I don't have as a parent. Yeah. Yep. It just it goes back to the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yeah. You know, God and, has and patience the sons for of us. Jacob story. Like, hey, these are these are people that are just yeah. like us. You know, we would be, we would do the same thing if we were in the same situation. We can't look at them and say, tisk, 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 Israel. Yeah. How could you possibly do this? It's like, I would never do the same. It's like, yes, of course, I think and would do the same yeah. thing that Israel yeah. did. So God's, God saves sinners. You know, that's that's the point. <laughs> exactly. Yep. And he still loves complainers. <laughs> yep. 
That's right. He's he, not even just loves. He pursues complainers. He he pursues them with his holy covenant keeping love and says, no matter how hard you fight against me or no matter how far away you run from me, I am still pursuing you. I like you are still mine. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, when Jesus talks about the uh, the there's 99 sheep and one leaves. He's going to go pursue that one sheep. There you go. Yeah. And even with the striking the rock with, I mean, Paul gives us an interpretation or the interpretation in first Corinthians 10, that that rock was Christ. But it's also interesting yep. when, when Israel is grumbling, like if you're Moses and God tells you like, yeah, these people are grumbling, like, like, what do you want to do? Like you, like you want to strike the people because they're the ones who are grumbling. And then who does he strike? Cause it also tells us some people miss this. It tells us where God's standing. Yep. In in Exodus 17, and God's standing on the rock. And yep. instead of so he you can almost look at like he's turning sides and he's looking at Israel and then looking at this rock, looking at Israel, looking at the rock, and then Yahweh tells him, strike the rock. And you're like, wait, hold up. Like you're not gonna strike the people, you're striking God. This like what's what's going on here? Mm. Yeah, because the Lord is taking upon himself the punishment that they deserve, right? Yeah. Like the Lord's taking, yeah. So the Lord's taking that upon himself. So that he he's taking the people's grumbling on himself. Yeah. He's being judged yeah. for their grumbling. So yeah, the rock is a substitute for the Israelites. The rock was Christ, 1 Corinthians 10. Yeah. So Paul doesn't uh, just pull this out of thin air. He's reading the yeah. text. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, the Lord, because yeah, the Lord's right there. So yeah. it's which is crazy. It's like it's it's, it's insane. <laughs> yeah. I love it. That's why Exodus <laughs> is so rich with typology and all the, this. The entire old testament is extremely rich. Yep. We just don't read it enough yep. or well enough. Well, absolutely. But so um, I'm not sure where your head's at right now, Danny, but what about the, I know you're licking your chops talking about the tabernacle. Yeah, we got the law and the tabernacle. Yeah, law and the tabernacle. So yeah. Go for it. Um, Yeah, yeah, I mean, just, you know, just going forward then, like they're at it, the the Israelites get to Mount Sinai, so they're in Egypt. Mm -hmm. In chapter 19, they get to Mount Sinai. So there's two locations in the story, Mm -hmm. right? Like Nick said, like uh, uh, Peter said, like it's not so numbers that they start wandering. Yeah. Um here they're just they're parked, you know, at the foot of Mount Sinai. Yeah, I don't think Lord... it's not until numbers until Yahweh actually shows up in the tabernacle. I think it's like numbers yeah. one at, at the it's not even in Exodus. Uh the very end, chapter 40. Like that's okay, that's right. It's a, it's like the fire it's comes the down. very end of it and then beginning of yeah. Num- yeah, numbers. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. No, because the Lord... end of Exodus is I think Moses has to get out of the ark or something. I forget exactly how it works. So he says to them, or he tells Moses as he's up on Mount Sinai. Um, to make a sanctuary, to make a holy place, yep. that I may dwell in their midst. That's chapter 25, verse 8. Yep. So the whole purpose of the tabernacle is that God would dwell among them. Yep. Um, so there's a lot, there's a lot there. Um, and there has, you know, Moses has to do it exactly as he told them to do it and so forth. But the cool thing, the great thing about it is um, so you know, when you read the story, like they they're living in tents. All the Israelites are living in tents. So they're, you know, they're pilgrims, they're sojourners around the wilderness, they're exposed to the elements, they're living in tents. Um, and God condescends down or accommodates himself down to their level, like we've seen before in the, in the story of Genesis and in here. And God also is going to live in a tent, mm-hmm. like at the center of the camp. That's numbers. But at yeah. the center of the camp is this one tent that's where God you know, lives, sleeps, if you will. And all the Israelites circle that. Um, the, the tribes are on all four sides. Yeah. So, I, uh, you know, to, to me, this is like a foreshadow of the incarnation Mm -hmm. this is you know goes back to like genesis 3 how how did the lord walk in the garden um it goes back to 
um, uh, Genesis 18 and 19, the three men that meet Moses at yep. the tent. Two of them are angels, we're told. Those two go to Sodom and Gomorrah ahead. Uh, and there's one that sticks back with with Abram or Abraham. And then they walk together to Sodom uh, and Gomorrah. And uh, it, that's the Lord. Because he says, I'm going to send that fire. Remember we saw that last time or two times mm -hmm. ago, whenever it was. You know, that the Lord's going to send fire from heaven from the Lord, right? Like that mm -hmm. that crazy <laughs> language of like, yeah. there's two lords. The Lord from the Lord. Um, yeah. So Sounds a little bit know, like Psalm 110 too. The Lord said to yeah. my Lord. So, you know, it's obviously it's father and son. It's, you know, it's Trinitarian language. So, yeah. um, but same thing here. Like the Lord is tabernacling. The Lord is dwelling amongst yeah. his people. So when the incarnation happened, obviously it was a, it was a phenomenal miracle. Um, but there are all these like allusions to it already in the old, in the Jewish Old Testament that that God already was living amongst His people and yep. it was going to do that in a full way. Yeah, he was tabernacling among His people already in the Old Testament. Yep. So you get the John one like it shouldn't surprise us that it says like you know and the Word became flesh and tabernacled literally yep. tabernacled like oh that's what that's what God us. did in the Old Testament. Yep. So but now He's doing it in flesh like in human yep. flesh yep. right. Yep. So it's not just like in the in a fire, you know, fire or smoke and all these symbols. It's in reality. Yeah. And you get the so you get the law from Exodus or you get the law, Exodus 20 versus like two to 17. And then you kind of get like what the outworkings kind of of the law. Like, how does this law play in Israelite society in this kind of theocratic society from Exodus 20 to 24? Yep. So the covenant code. Yeah. Yeah. So yep. you get like the Ten Commandments and then kind of fleshing out these 10 commandments from Exodus 21 to 24. Like what, like what do these kind of look like in, yeah. in everyday Israelite life, like what do we do when somebody sleeps with somebody else who shouldn't have done it? Or what should we do when an ox scores uh, the owner? Like there's all these things that kind of seem random to us, but they're yep. like, <clears throat> they're playing out what would have, what would have occurred because Israel has judges that they have to, um, they're told some of these cases and they have to look at some of these law cases. Okay. How would we respond to some of these cases according to God's law? Yep. Yeah. yeah. So there's like that, the, yeah, the practicalities of the law and then, you know, the, the, the worship of the law, yep. like that's a tabernacle. Yep. And the whole thing is that, you know, God would dwell among them and that they would be holy. And that comes out more in Leviticus, but um that yeah. the whole purpose of the law was that they would be holy like the lord was holy and that yep. he would show his holiness to them in in those laws yeah so yeah you get both and i know some people set up a hard dichotomy on is the law only law or is it grace or like does it have a function but it's but it's it's part of this it's an administration of this covenant of grace and yep. it both shows the people what a re redeemed life looks like but it also shows them what like what holiness looks like and that they can't achieve this holy. So it's not yep. like either one or the other. It's, it's both end of these things. It's both what a holy life looks like under the law, but also you're not going to fulfill this law perfectly. And you know, you're not going to fulfill this law perfectly. Which is why Leviticus is necessary because they're sacrificed for, there you for go. So you, now you have the, you have the laws pronounced to you and you're like, yep. uh, yeah, what happens when I break these laws, I'm going to break these laws <laughs> over the place. And you yep. got all the laws. Yeah. in Leviticus for covering, like you see in the Passover for covering over these, these, um, these sins and transgressions. Yep. I think too, that's why we're seeing it more and more that the Pentateuch as a whole, the first five books of the Bible really should all be studied at once. really because we keep going back to thinking about Genesis and keep going forward to numbers and Deuteronomy and things like yep. that. It's just, it's really good to, um, 
you know, obviously we need to, you know, refer to each other. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's only the way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time. So we need to, you know, look (laughs) at this stuff one episode at a time, but at the same time, like we can't cut off Genesis and numbers and Deuteronomy and Leviticus to talk about just Exodus. Like they're all tied. And actually this leads into my, my kind of last, last question. If you guys have anything else is I want to, ask about the significance of Moses's brother, Aaron. It might be the first time in the Bible we finally find a, a friendly sibling relationship between two brothers. Kind um, of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for more or less. No no brothers get along all the time. But Mo- Moses well, yeah, wants... Aaron kind of takes up the guard with Moses kind of flunks. A little yeah, bit, so, yeah, yeah. So Aaron, Moses asks God, can there be somebody to speak for him? Uh, I'm paraphrasing, just kind of brush over yep. quick stuff because he doesn't sounds like he has a little bit of a he's a little afraid to speak in public or he's something. So, so he wants Aaron he's, to I be I think there. It's, it's he's slow of tongue, I think is the literal translation of it. Sure. So so Aaron and Moses together go approach Pharaoh and they say, Let my people go. And they and, and Moses and Aaron uh Aaron has a um you know, he has a staff that turns into a serpent. And um, so there must be significant. If we point ahead to numbers, you see the cross with the serpent on it. That uh, is numbers pointed twelve. Yeah, numbers twelve. But which gets referred uh, to in John three. Awesome. Yeah. So, but significance, gen- generally speaking, of the relationship with Aaron, how it points to the priesthood, and the big part of where Aaron really messed up big time while his brother Moses was talking to God on Mount Sinai. He was down at the bottom creating a golden calf for the people to worship yeah let's what's this is maybe this is a helpful time to like talk about the tabernacle too because the the uh golden calf happens right in the midst of constructing the tabernacle yep so it's i mean you even get with aaron and with moses because moses is the one who like kind of backs down because god says i want you to talk to pharaoh and pharaoh's like ah i'm i'm good i don't really want to talk to him and then he's then that's when Yahweh's okay. We'll we'll take we'll take Aaron, your brother, to go and talk to him. Who then he's now kind of Aaron, the high priest, and the high priests come from his line. But okay. yeah, even in the midst of like the golden calf, Danny, if you want to, since you're 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 the resident expert on the tabernacle, since you wrote a book on it, this this happens in the midst of the the tabernacle construction. So if you want to, yeah, maybe the last thing we could talk about is the tabernacle construction, kind of surrounding, like really. If you look at 25 to 40, what's the central chapter in that? It's the uh the golden calf incident in Exodus 32. Yeah. And you know, and yeah, so 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 Moses on the mountain, people are are tired of him being the mountain. They're like, hey, why why is he being so long up there? You know, why does only he get to be up there? Why not us? Yeah. You know, and so they're like, hey, make us some gods. And of course, you know, he tells Moses later that, well, I just, you know, I just threw this gold into the fire. This and, you know, came this, this golden calf. This little cow came out. You know, like what am I supposed to do about it? <laughs> um, but then, but then Aaron even says, like, you know, when he when he creates it, like, you know, we're, this is your, these are your gods. Yep. So they they, on the one, so they they think they're worshiping the Lord. It says. Yeah. Um, yep. They think they're worshiping so, Yahweh. They they image Yahweh. Yeah, but they make images like they make an image of him, right? So you have that, and then don't forget later on in Numbers, which we'll come to. Um, this is not his only sin. He also rebels <laughs> against Moses. Yep. With with uh with uh deborah right um, yeah it's, or, not no. a, it's not a great sibling relationship <laughs> yeah because they're, they're like hey like why is the lord only speaking through uh through moses like why can't he speak through us too yeah i'm pretty cool i'm aaron i'm the high priest yeah and and the lord's like 
you know, basically this is what I'm this or Miriam, yeah, Miriam and Aaron. Sorry, I said Deborah, Miriam and Aaron. And the Lord's like, um, well, I speak to all kinds of people in all kinds of ways, but I speak to Moses face to face, like, yeah. you know, basically mm -hmm. get off me. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Shut up, Aaron. You <laughs> know what I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, right, right in the middle of building the holy place for God's dwelling, they're worshiping gods. Um, and that's like that leads to chapter 33 and four, which again are kind of like they're not about mm -hmm. the tabernacle. Mm -hmm. um, they're all about how God God threatens at that point, which is crazy to think. But like God threatens to cut off all the Israelites. Yeah, he's, he's and to like, start over yeah. just with Moses. Yep. Now, was it a, was it a real threat or was it like his way of drawing out Moses's faith? I think it's the latter. But yeah. Um, but so because then Moses is like pleading, you know, Lord, you you've promised us and. Like, I can't go up by myself out of this land. Like, you got to go with me. And the Lord, like, relents. Mm -hmm. And the Lord, you know, keeps his promise. Um, again, it's like he's not changed his mind or anything. It's like this is how the Lord acts at times towards us um, to teach us lessons. So, um, but the Lord, you know, he, he, uh, Moses makes the new tablets, right? And uh, they renew the covenant, mm -hmm. chapter 34. Um, but after again, like, it, this is a few chapters after ratifying and exactly. the covenant in so it's like 24. The same thing with Abraham, the same thing with like the, the manna, the water from the rock. Like yeah, all they the, eat like, and drink with, with Yahweh. There's all this stuff. Yeah, per there's se. There's all this and stuff this about like, yeah, the, Lord keeps his, 33. the Lord keeps his promises. Israelites sin. The Lord keeps his promises again. Like it just, nothing new under the sun. Like yeah. every time we come together as God's people, you know, one of the principles we can learn from that is like, hey, we need to confess our sins and yeah. we need to be honest with God. And, you know, tell him how we failed and ask him for forgiveness. And then we know that he will. So, yeah, uh, we know that he will uh, forgive us. And then, so yeah, the, the, all that's going on. And then the whole story ends in chapter 40 with the glory of the Lord, the cloud, yep. the fire descends upon the tabernacle um, and, you know, engulfs it and fills it, uh, which is just, you know, just blows your mind. Um, mm -hmm. And, to say, you know, it says that, uh, um, the cloud was uh, on the tabernacle by day and the fire by night. It's the same cloud and fire that led them yeah. through the wilderness. So yep. um, yeah, in Leviticus, we'll get there, you know, the same thing happens for sacrifices and so forth, but yeah, it's just the glory of the Lord, his presence, his uh, yeah, his personal presence is with them, leading them, preparing to lead them through the wilderness. Yeah. And maybe if I could too, because um, my last little comment is you can say Exodus ends sort of where Genesis starts too, because in Genesis, God is, is crafting his tabernacle as it were. He's, he's crafting the heavens and the earth. He's, he's making this dwelling place for Adam and Eve for them to commune with him. And it happens over seven consecutive sayings. So seven, seven days, um, specific yep. things for each day <clears throat> in yep. the tabernacle, you get the same number. You get seven consecutive sayings, from Yahweh to Moses, Yahweh commands this and Moses does it. Yahweh commands this and Moses does it. And then the seventh one, if I'm not mistaken, is when the glory of the Lord. I know it's the seventh one is when the uh, tabernacle is finished. The and it's I think it says and and Moses was finished or some something to that effect. And I, I think Moses, who's who's writing this, is calling you back to this is this is a. Is another tabernacle in line with Eden, where God is like what Danny said at the end of Exodus forty. God will dwell with His people. Mm -hmm. So you yes. you get like a you get some structure. Genesis one and two finds kind of an analog with Exodus twenty five to thirty nine. And set the number seven points to rest with Christ. Yeah, it's 
Yeah, the, the ex, I think it's Exodus 39. I could I could be wrong. I think it's right before the end of it where, yeah, the seventh commandment from Yahweh to Moses, or the seventh thing is finishing the ark, much mm-hmm. like we see the seventh day in creation is Yahweh finishing his work and resting. So you, you see a lot of the same language in, in both. So it's it's uh, the seven days creation are, are like the seven um, steps, you can say, of creating this tabernacle wherein God dwells with his people. In Exodus 25 and 39, this tabernacle where God dwells with his people. Yeah. And uh, I was going to just add, apparently I said something like something like that in my, my book. Um, <laughs> <There you go. laughs> it's almost like Peter uh, read your book. That's yeah. I, I read I read GK I've read just a ton of GK Beal. Yeah, this is also yeah. Meredith Klein. Um, and apparently this... I wrote in my book. Yeah, apparently I, I closed my I, I I closed out my final chapter of the book on Exodus forty by connecting the cloud, um, the the yeah the the glory of the Lord. It says uh, settled on the mount on the tent of meeting. Yep, and that points us all the way back to Genesis one two, where the Spirit hovers. Yeah. Or the face of the deep. So apparently, I made some connection to that. But uh, I'll, you guys nice. have to go get the book and read yourself. Well, <laughs> yeah, people want more of that stuff. Yeah, you gotta go buy it. But to make a really good connection too to us as new covenant believers, those that tabernacle and temples point to us as new covenant believers. Well, it too, points right? first to Christ, who yep. who is the physical the physical tabernacle, well, of course, who dwells with his people and it makes us a priesthood much like Israel was a priesthood in Exodus 19. Yep. So we are, we're now in this temple, in this tabernacle, that tabernacle is Christ. And we are all priests, not who are making these physical sacrifices. If we have to sacrifice to God anymore, but we are priests in the sense that we now have full access to God because he's the one who's made this, this final sacrifice on our behalf. Yep. And then the, 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 the body of Christ corporately is also just like the metaphor shift because the, yeah. the body of Christ is described as a temple because the Holy Spirit dwells within the church, within the church. Yep. Um, and the individual believer as well, yep. you know, is an indwelt uh, temple. So yep. Um, yep. yeah, it's like we're both priests and we're both temple. Yep. Yeah. I mean, totally. one, one last statement for me is based on that is as new covenant believers, we are set apart as God's people from the rest of uh, the people created and just as you know israel uh was on mount sinai they were given the 10 commandments uh not ever they were israel was set apart from the rest of the nations to to represent god's you know glory be his people you know that doesn't take away the fact that there's still moral law around that's the the that's the point paul makes in romans one and two is like don't think you don't have this in your own heart if you weren't actually there yeah. So the rest of the world has this moral law on their heart. God codified it on Mount Sinai for the people of Israel because he sets them apart as yeah. his representatives. With some and, specific regulations kind of added to it for Israel specifically that may not have been for all of those nations outside of them. Yeah. But we can get into that later on. Yeah. During the Mosaic law stuff. <clears throat> yep. Cool. Well, yeah, Unless you guys have anything else to add? That was good stuff, man. Enjoyed this uh this episode, and and next week we have uh we have I think we have I I think I've this misordered in my schedule. We have we have numbers next because numbers follows after Exodus. 
we got we have numbers coming up next. I've, I misordered that. I have I have Leviticus, but it's actually numbers. Numbers mm-hmm. coming up next, uh, where we talk about more of the the temple, the military census, and we get a war also in the book of Numbers. But um, we'll we'll end each episode kind of where you can find us. You can if you want more more of this preaching, you can find me at Redeemer Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Santa Maria. We meet at 10 a.m. And we'll have kind of that in our show notes. And, and Danny, where can they find you? Yeah, Oceanside United Reformed Church in sunny San Diego, Carlsbad, Oceanside. Um, and I'm actually, yeah, when when these when these episodes air, I sh- I'm in the middle or the beginning of a series. Yeah. Uh, through, I'm doing the whole Bible. Yep. Basically, the whole Bible in one year. Um, I don't have a hundred percent charted out, but basically the whole Bible in one year. So, um, as we're talking now, I've already done one sermon on the whole book of Genesis, and yep. in a couple of weeks, I'll be resuming that series, uh, doing a series a sermon on the book of Exodus. So, uh, and then Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, like the whole the whole kit and caboodle. So, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Hope, hopefully, people are interested to hear more about this and come and you know get a big bird's eye view. And then you know, I also have lots and lots of sermons, like yep. obviously in the weeds of yep. like this text and that text. But yeah, yep. Oceans at URC. Uh, we meet at 10 a.m. and 5 p.m. on Sundays. Awesome. And then, Nick, where can they find you? Even though you're not preaching, they can still find you somewhere. Yeah, I'm the only one of the three of us that's not a pastor. Um, I would say I'm I'm purposely off the grid. I don't want to be found too easily. But uh, <laughs> but I would say I'm a, I'm a member of Trinity Orthodox Presbyterian Church in South Orange County. Uh, my pastor is Jonathan Morsh. Come check it out. If you're he preaches like this too. You're gonna get Christ-centered preaching at Trinity. Yeah. So that's that's about it. Cool. cool. All right. Well, see you guys next week for the book of numbers. Yeah. See ya. Peace. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode in our seventh season, Jesus and All of Scripture. Please make sure you subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast catcher or on our YouTube channel. Give us a rating on Apple or Spotify and write a review. These really do help the show reach a wider audience as we continue with our goal of bridging the gap to reform Christian theology for all peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations. We'll see you next week for another episode.